Welcome to the podcast of Finchley Progressive Synagogue. My name is Rabbi Neil James and I'm the Rabbi of Finchley Progressive Synagogue. More information about the synagogue can be found on our website www.fps.org. Shabbat Shalom, welcome back to the FPS podcast. It's been some time since I updated our podcast and now felt uh, the right time to do that. I've been very moved by the scenes that we've seen from Haiti after the earthquake and I've also been touched by the responses from communities all over the world from all different faiths and backgrounds who've contributed to the effort to save people from underneath the rubble and to provide hospital care not least of course from Israel though in a sense that's the least that we would also expect from a state that professes to hold Jewish values to be so dear. Of course it didn't take long for someone professing to be a minister of religion to lay claim to some kind of theological explanation for the disaster that occurred and it's this in particular that sickens me and troubles me. Let me first though take a slight deviation. Our Torah portion, Parashat Bol this week, contains the continuation of the ten plagues which were visited on the Egyptians. Now many of you may have heard that there are theories proposing that the ten plagues were the result of some kind of volcanic eruption that led to the various chain of events ultimately uh, recorded in the Bible as the ten plagues. Personally though, I'm not convinced by the necessity to find some kind of natural uh, occurrence to describe what has taken place in the story. This is, after all, a story, a myth. It's the central defining narrative for later Jewishness. The story doesn't need hard scientific evidence for it to be meaningful to me as a Jew today. It does not need to conform to the rigours of modern historical study in order for this monumental experience of redemption from slavery, which informs a narrative and basis for Jewish identity through all time, to be true in the sense of my religious being. In fact, Nachum Sana, one of the great biblical scholars, writing about Genesis in this case, but I think the what he's written can be equally applied to the story of Exodus, says that it is a naive and futile exercise to attempt to reconcile the biblical accounts of creation with the findings of modern science. Any correspondence which can be discovered or ingeniously established between the two must surely be nothing more than mere coincidence even more serious than the inherent fundamental misconception of the psychology of biblical man is the unwholesome effect upon the understanding of the Bible itself, for the net result is self-defeating. The literalistic approach serves to direct attention to those aspects of the narrative that reflect the time and place of its composition, while it tends to obscure the elements that are meaningful and enduring, thus distorting the biblical message and destroying its relevancy. In other words, it's when we seek to find a scientific explanation for events which have been recorded as myths more than 2,000, perhaps 3,000 years ago. It's when we attempt to find that scientific explanation that we lose sight of the enduring value of the stories. And the story of Exodus for me is about the story of a, a burgeoning people's relationship with God and the world around them. But what this attempt to find some kind of scientific understanding of the Ten Plagues most specifically in the volcanic eruption, reminds us of is that throughout the Bible, God works through all different ways and means. 
God perhaps is described as being responsible for a, uh, a, an army defeating another army or for, as we see in the plagues, inflicting some kind of horrendous natural occurrence on a people in order to prove that God's will is supreme and that the people should indeed be allowed to go free. But as a liberal Jew, we don't have to hold on to these former understandings of the way that God works in the world and treat them so literally. We can see science, history, power and conflict all coming to play in the story of humanity. And we don't therefore have to say that one occurrence or one event is the result of God's effect on the world. Perhaps unfortunately, or maybe I think fortunately, we are not equipped to understand fully how God is present in the world. But I think it is tantamount to idolatry to suggest that we can be actually in the mind of God and know therefore how God works. It's the great paradox, it's the great mystery. I don't believe in God who comes down and meddles in people's lives and distorts the flow of nature and changes every human being's ability uh, to exercise free will and free choice. That isn't the God that I believe in as a liberal Jew and I don't think it makes sense just to insert God into the equation. For example, when someone does something bad to another person or when something terrible happens in the world. It just doesn't make sense. We are left with a legacy that describes God as omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. That God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is everywhere and of course God is beneficent. God is all good. But perhaps this conceptualization of God is not wholly accurate. Even the rabbis, we're told, in Bereshit Rabbah, Midrash, in one of the most wonderfully theologically challenging texts I think that exists in the rabbinic literature, describe a different type of God. The situation is this. Cain and Abel are fighting, and of course we know that the outcome of the story is that Cain kills Abel, the first murder in the Bible. We're told Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai said, the thing is difficult to say and impossible for a mouth to explain. What he's trying to tell us is that what he's about to utter is almost impossible for a human being to say without sounding like a heretic and moreover without challenging their very sense of belief and their very understanding of God. But he goes on. It is like two athletes, Cain and Abel that is, who rise up and are wrestling before the king. God. If the king desires, he can split them up. If he does not desire to split them, the one who is stronger than his fellow will slay him. And so, what we learn from this incredible midrash is that Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai imagines that God could have actually stopped Cain killing Abel. But God maybe did not desire, maybe was not in a position to change the course of events therefore suggesting that maybe God is not omnipotent, perhaps God could not stop it. Or perhaps, even more challenging, God is not all good. Of course, the classical response to this question is in fact that God has set the world in motion, human beings have free will, and the world is guided by nature. And it is not possible for God to intervene in that nature 
or to intervene in the exercise of free will because that would undermine the very existence of the world. All of these rational explanations do not suffice. They do not answer the questions that we ask ourselves when we're confronted by tragedy and by disaster, particularly on the scale and the magnitude of the Haitian earthquake. We must not be insensitive. We must not fail to be scandalised. We must not fail to be horrified by what we see. And we must therefore act in response to the event that are out of anyone's control. That is the measure of being human. We've been endowed with the ability to conduct ourselves according to free choice. And our free choice must be for goodness and for righteousness and justice. So I encourage you all to give as generously as you can to the campaign led by World Jewish Relief in the UK their website is www.wjr.org.uk. If you're in places other elsewhere in the world, I'm sure you can find other places where you will be able to donate. The need for support and care goes on long after the images have faded from our television screen. And we have a duty to ensure that those who are suffering are not forgotten. I'd like to conclude with a prayer written by the Union of Reform Judaism, a prayer for the victims of the Haiti earthquake. On this Shabbat, we continue telling the saga of our people's exodus from Egypt, our journey from slavery to freedom, from servitude to covenant. We recall that moment of deliverance at the Sea of Reeds when we miraculously passed through the waters, yet witnessed the watery death of others. Rather than rejoice at our own survival, we are taught to hear the cries of the victims. God silenced the angels who would celebrate the survival of the Israelites, proclaiming, The work of my hands is drowning in the sea. As we gather this Shabbat, we remember the loss of tens of thousands of God's children killed in the Haitian earthquake. We pray that the survivors in need of healing might find strength and comfort. We pray that those in search of missing loved ones will be sustained with courage and hope. We pray that those who have lost their homes and livelihoods will have the fortitude to rebuild their lives. Loving and gracious God who created the earth in all its fullness, grant them comfort, healing and peace. Be their help in this their time of need. As it is written, Here was a great and mighty wind splitting mountains and shattering rocks by the power of Adonai, but Adonai was not in the wind. After the wind an earthquake, but Adonai was not in the earthquake, after the earthquake, fire, but Adonai was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. May we be the voice that brings comfort and hope in the midst of the storm. Kenyihiratson. May this be God's will. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast from Finchley Progressive Synagogue. More information about the synagogue can be found on the synagogue website www.fps.org.